satisfied with life's good things. He had no sat. He can't get no satisfaction because oh, there was a few that caught that reference. <laughs> he can't get. He doesn't. He's not satisfied because all of that stuff didn't do it for him. And so that's kind of we're we're in that context still as we continue today, as we look at the rest of chapter six. We also saw at the end of chapter five, we saw that that there's one place to get joy, one place to get satisfaction, and that's from God. God's the only source of joy and satisfaction. He, he told us that at the end of chapter five, he said that it, that that the man. Is, is so busy with the joy of God in his heart that he doesn't think about these other things. So we have the, the, this comparison of two lives, one with God and with joy and meaning and purpose, and one meaningless and joyless, but got all the stuff you could possibly ask for. That's, uh, that's his, been his comparison in chapter 6. So that's where we're going to pick up in, in chapter 6 and verse 7, is in that spot. Now, I will also remind you that, that Solomon, he was king, he was rich, he had 700 and some wives, he had everything a man could possibly desire, so he tried everything. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, you name it. He tried everything, and what he came to, the conclusion he came to, is in, is in chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So Solomon, having tried everything this world has to offer, comes back to this conclusion. And, and so this comparison continues today. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 6, starting in verse 7. It, it is up here behind me. <clears throat> All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Whatever has come, whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, while he passes like a shadow? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? So he begins talking about appetite. And it's an interesting conversation appetite because he, he, he kind of, there's a play on words here and we understand this play on words because we use appetite the same way. He talks about the mouth and then he says the appetite is never satisfied. Think about how we use appetite. We use the word appetite to describe what we eat and how much we eat, but we also use it to describe a, a great desire of our heart, right? I have an appetite for work, for ministry, for for music, for I could stand here and name thousands of things. I could spend the next few minutes naming things we can have appetites for. 
So we use this the same way Solomon is using it in, the, in terms of the mouth and in terms of the life. And that's how he, he is using it. So again, think about the context. The man who was given everything his appetite could possibly want, and yet he had no joy, he had no meaning, he had no purpose. That's the life apart from God that Solomon keeps showing us. You know, in, uh, in Scripture, we are quite often uh, compared to sheep. And it's not particularly a, a flattering reference, <laughs> frankly. But we're, we're, we're compared to sheep. And, and the reason I think it works so well is because a sheep will be in a beautiful pasture. And it will put its head down and start eating. And it will just follow its appetite until it can't hear the shepherd anymore. It isn't looking to be lost. It, it's not looking to run away from the shepherd. It simply follows its appetite until it can't hear the shepherd's voice anymore. And that's how we are. That's precisely how we are. That's why this fits so well is because we will follow our appetites until we don't hear the shepherd anymore. Our appetites will drive us away from the shepherd unless our appetite is for the Lord our God. Solomon's main point here is just the, the meaninglessness of life when you spend it on your appetites. Think about it. And we've seen it with this, this guy that, that's in the first few verses, but we see it in life it, itself. We see it all the time. You, you have an appetite for money, and so you, you work and you scrape and you save and you, you do all these things for money. And once you have money, you don't have enough yet right? Is there ever enough? It's the same thing with possessions. I can own everything my heart desires, and next year there'll be new models of everything, and I'll have to have those. It doesn't matter what my appetite is. It, it is a meaningless life if I am only following those appetites. If I am just putting my head down and following my appetite, I'm not going to hear the shepherd's voice anymore. No matter how much cherry pie I stuff in my mouth, I'm going to be hungry again in a few hours. It's, it's how our appetite works. It's never satisfied. Never satisfied. No matter what we have, no matter what we achieve, we will want more because our appetite is never satisfied. And then he has this strange statement about the sight of the eyes. He says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetites. And it's, and it's interesting that the sight of the eyes is, it, it kind of implies possessions. It kind of implies this is the stuff that I can see that I have. And so it's really kind of a statement about contentment. Can I be content with the things that are within my sight? Or am I going to follow my appetite? Can I be content with what I have, with what I see? Or, or is what's next always going to be constant for me? And there's something else that's, that's interesting about this. This word appetite, it's in both verse 6 and verse 7. It's the word nefesh in, in Hebrew. It's literally the word used in Genesis to talk about the soul, the breath, the living being. So this appetite... This is the desire of the heart. This is that driving force of life. 
that, that he's talking about here. This driving force of life is, is our appetite. And the problem with it is, as he warns us here, it wanders. I think our society understands this. If we just step back and look at our society, we see this, a perfect example of this. What's new today? That's what people want. Tomorrow, there'll be something else. And we'll want that. The appetite constantly wanders. So for the one who does not fix his appetite on God, his appetite will wander all over the place. It will never be satisfied. It will never be where, where, where it should be. It, it will ne- there is, is no satisfaction there. You know, I think there's a, this is the reason that God is presented to us in Scripture as the solid rock, as the same yesterday, today, and forever, as unchanging. Because we need an unchanging God for our changing appetite. We need an unwavering God for our wavering appetite, for our wandering appetite. We need this God. We need this God who will anchor us. James talked about these people. And in the first chapter, he called them doubters and double-minded. And he said, they are tossed about like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That's our appetites wandering when we're apart from God. If we fix our appetites on anything earthly, on any of these things, money, possessions, family, uh, anything that's not God, it's going to wander and we're going to be tossed about. We need the unchanging God for our constantly changing appetites. We need the unchanging God to anchor our souls in the wind. So we have to find our satisfaction in the Lord our God. That's the only place satisfaction is going to work. Satisfaction in the Lord is the cure for our wandering souls. It's a cure for our wandering life. It's a cure for our wandering appetites. It's a cure for a life spent chasing the wind. I said this early in our our study of Ecclesiastes, but the reason I have this that wisp of smoke coming off after the candle is, is, is snuffed out, that's the word vanity. That's the Hebrew word vanity. That's what it means. That's your life apart from God. It's a wisp of smoke. It's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. We need satisfaction in the Lord. And I think the first part of having satisfaction in the Lord is being satisfied with where you are who you are, and what you have. Where you are, who you are, what you have. I know this is counterculture. I know this is not what our society wants you to think. Our society wants you to think that what's new and exciting and and next is always better than what is. But that's that's not what God says. What God says is who you are is who he made you to be. What you have is what he's given you. Where you are is where he's placed you. You are in the love of God right now. Why do you need to wander? Why do you need to chase an appetite when you are where you you should be? I want to remind you again from from the context we have these 
you have these appetites and, and like for money. But as I said then, I'll say again, money never keeps its promise. Never. It says it will bring you satisfaction. It will not. You'll always want more. It says it will bring you peace of mind. It won't because you will worry, you'll be worried about it. It says it will bring you security, but it cannot because this world is too unstable for money to be stable. Possessions are the same way. It doesn't matter how many things you get. Next year, there's new models that make yours look useless. It doesn't matter. Possessions don't keep their promise. These things never keep their promise. What keeps its promise is the Lord our God. What keeps his promise is the one who will not spend his life searching for money or possessions or, or power or or fame, but the one who, who spends his life seeking God will always be satisfied. Always. So contentment and satisfaction go together. Content with who you are, where you are, and what you have, and satisfied with the Lord your God. That's, that's his description. That's his recipe for the wandering heart. And then he has, uh, in verse 10, he talks about the one stronger. In verse 10 says, the man cannot contend with the one stronger than he. And we can kind of follow this argument if we just sort of take it apart. He says, whatever has come to be has already been named. This is another way of saying the most famous thing about Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. What has been has already been named. There is a cycle here that we cannot break out of. And then it, then it says, and, and, and it is known what man is. You realize that we think we've come so far. Read your Old Testament. We are doing the same sins in new ways. That's all we've done, is invent new ways to do the old sins. We are the same. If you read your Old Testament, we're the same as those people. We're the same. We even have the benefit of the Holy Spirit, and we still say no and do the wrong things anyway. We continue to be who we've always been. We need to be new. We need to understand that that's what mankind is, and that cycle will not change apart from God. And then it says he's not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. God designed the life. He made life. He gave us life. And back in, in chapter 3, verse 11, it says he put eternity in our hearts. Now, that's the, what Augustine called the God-shaped space in each of us. We try by our appetites to fill this God-shaped space. We will never be satisfied with anything but God. Ever. Why? Because that's the way God made it. God designed life so that we would find him. God designed life so that we would have the need for him within us. And, and no matter what your appetite is, it will never fill the spot God needs to fill. Never. Because that's the way God designed it. So we can't dispute the one that's stronger than us. We can, you, can, you can argue with God all you want. I'll give you this hint. 
every argument I've ever had with God, I lost. Every single one. He has always won. He designed life this way so that we would follow him and so that we would never find satisfaction in anything but him. That's how God designed life. So are you satisfied in the Lord your God? Or are you chasing your appetite? That's between you and God. I ask, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and consider that question. Are you satisfied in the Lord your God? Or are you chasing your appetite? Nothing will ever fill the, the, the hole in you, the eternity that God has placed in your heart. Nothing but God. Do you know God has filled the space in you? Because you can this morning. It's, it's a simple prayer. It simply says, God, I know that I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died in my place on that cross. He died for me. And so I ask you to come and fill the God-shaped space in me that, that I might have life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor. Let them know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but as you look at the last couple of weeks, you realize you've been chasing your appetite, not Christ. You've had your head down, chasing your appetites because you can't hear his voice anymore. Will you surrender that today? Will you surrender that this morning? Father, it is so easy for us to get caught up in our world, to get caught up in the material, to get caught up in all of the things that never satisfy. We recognize that you have made us to find satisfaction only in you. And so we surrender it all to you this morning.